Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The all we need is just a little patience. Edition. As we look back at the Bengals' biggest issues in their first two games of the year and look ahead to Sunday's game against another 0-2 team, the Philadelphia Eagles. Coming up, Dave Lapham joins me to discuss protecting Joe, connecting with AJ, and expecting a better pass rush. This week's one-on-one player interview is with Kevin Huber, whose goal 12 years ago was to punt until he was 35 years old. He's made it. So what's his goal now? And finally, it's our Know the Foe segment as we get an entertaining look at the Eagles from Michael Barkan, who hosts the team's pre- and post-game shows on NBC Sports Philadelphia. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Prime Sport, the official hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since that other pregame show. Since the Bengals played at 4 o'clock in Week 1 and on Thursday night in Week 2, I've had more time available on the first two Sunday mornings of the season than I do when the Bengals have their usual 1 o'clock kick. That's given me the chance to watch that other pregame show, which airs from 8 to noon, every Sunday on CBS Sports Network. The cast includes host Adam Shine, former players Kyle Long and London Fletcher, and former Raiders executive Amy Trask, and is just the right mix of information and entertainment, without the painful fake laughs you have to endure on the traditional network pregame shows. So, check out that other pregame show, or TOPS for short, Sunday mornings on CBS Sports Network. Now, let's get to the Bengals, beginning with this week's breakdown with Dave Lapham. Lap, I think when the schedule came out and we looked at week three, a road game in Philly, most of us figured, all right, that's an L. Right. But not anymore. The Eagles struggled in their first two games worse than the Bengals did. They blew a 17-0 lead to Washington in week one, gave up 27 straight points and lost 27-17. to Then they lost by 18 points to the Rams last week. Yeah, I mean, they've been outscored 64 to 36, 26 points allowed in the fourth quarter. I mean, they've down the stretch, they've they've collapsed basically and you know, you think, okay, playoff team more than not on the road in Philadelphia, fans at Boo Santa Claus when the schedule came out. Now, they don't look like the Philadelphia Eagles expected and anticipated and there's going to be no fans in the stands, so it's going to be a much easier scenario to try to go steal a W in Philadelphia. I agree with you, Dan. I mean, I think uh, right now the, the Eagles are doing a lot of things wrong. I mean, six giveaways, dead last in the NFL, minus five turnover ratio, dead last in the NFL. We think the Bengals have turnover issues. Man, Philadelphia, they they got more turnovers than a bakery. Man, they're, they're just <laughs> producing them left and right. Basically, one-third of the league so far is 0-2. 11 of the 32 teams are off to an 0-2 start. The Bengals lost their two games by a total of eight points, and there's only one team with an 0-2 record with a smaller point differential, Denver. They lost their first two games by a total of seven points. Should we be encouraged by that? I guess I guess you could be, you know, um, but people are going to compare the Cleveland Browns to the Pittsburgh Steelers, which who the Bengals played Cleveland, Denver played Pittsburgh, you know, in week two. Um, I, yeah, it's, I don't know, I guess, I guess, you know, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, as the old saying goes. Um, and, and like, man, like we've been saying for a while, 0-10 now in two seasons, games decided by eight points or less. NFL standard says win about half of them. They haven't won one of them. So it's a matter of learning how to finish or making plays at crucial times of football games are going to be a big factor in determining the outcome of the football game. You can't let an opportunity that when it presents itself just slip through your fingers and, and, and move on. That's, uh, that's coming back to bite them big time, there's no doubt. The Bengals are giving up 185 rushing yards per game so far, third worst in the NFL. It would help, I would think, if Geno Atkins and Mike Daniels return this week, but neither one is practicing today. And if I had to guess, I'd guess, you know, if, if the injuries are equal, 
meaning that the groin injury wasn't a real, real severe one and it's going to take like, you know, forever. And in, in Gino's shoulder injury, whether it's rotator cuff or if it's um, labrum, whatever it is, it's not severe. I think probably have a better chance of Daniels coming back from a groin, you know, depending on the severity of the pull, a groin strain, a groin pull. I would think that Daniels may be able to make the dance in a better way than Geno Adkins would potentially. And maybe another, need another week or so for Geno. And, you know, again, they're day-to-day, week-to-week. But the fact that neither one of them practiced, um, you know, and when, when they came back with the extra practice time, today's, today's injury report will have a, a big bearing on it. Wednesday's the big work day. Hopefully at least one of them went limited. Maybe both went limited. Um, but if I were to pick one, that might have done something today, I'd probably gamble and pick Daniels over Atkins. Let's talk offensive line. Pro Football Focus has the Bengals ranked 26th in pass blocking so far. Who are the six best te- six teams <laughs> that have done the worst job? 20th in run blocking so far. How has the O-line performed, in your opinion? You know, it's been, I guess, spotty uh, would be kind. I do think that uh, Fred obviously had a couple of issues, but I do agree with Zach's comments that he didn't even have a practice, a full practice with any physicality to it before going in to play Thursday night against the Cleveland Browns. That's tough duty. It really is. I mean, you think, okay, you take some snaps at training camp. It wasn't. It was never really anything more than a scrimmage situation, you know, not live, not t- tackling people and everything, defense going 100 miles an hour with a bunch of different looks and adjustments you have to make. And um, he probably took more snaps at tackle initially when he was battling Bobby Hart than he did at guard. And I can speak from experience. Going from tackle to guard is easier physically because you have people on both sides of you. You have less space to worry about and uh, not, not as athletic a player as you might see on the edge. So physically it might be easier, although they're, they're behemoths. You know, you got to be strong inside. But, boy – it's fast in there. The traffic patterns are quicker. On the edge, no matter what, I found when I was playing all the different positions, every single assignment, block the end. What if they do this? Block the end. If you're playing center or guard, they'll give you different looks. They'll bring linebackers. You know, there's a lot that goes on. Double A gap blitzes. And it's quick. And, man, sometimes you feel like, you know, man, you're over the speed limit. These guys are really – you have to make quick decisions. So mentally, it's a big adjustment going from tackle to guard. Physically, it's not as much, although um, Fred got rocked, man, on that bull rush. He got rocked, and I I was surprised. I thought that would not be happening to Fred uh, if I were to pick anything that wouldn't happen to Fred, being the behemoth that he is. But it just goes to show you, if you're tentative at all in terms of what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it, and you have a high pad level, and I I don't care if you're King Kong. You know, (laughs) they're going to get under your pads and knock you around a little bit. So I think, you know – it was probably really, really quick for him mentally in there, and hopefully it slowed down a little bit because it, it's tough. And and now you have again you, you're between the center and tackle. Neither one have worked with you in live conditions either. It's it's an issue. I mean it's it's not as easy as people think. And but the one thing I will say, Fred Taylor has untapped upside. Fred Johnson. Uh, excuse me. I keep calling. <laughs> I just keep wanting to run the football. Fred Johnson has untapped upside. I mean he is. He is gargantuan, you know, and, and I do think when if he does get his feet under him and, and start to feel real comfortable mentally, Michael Jordan and Fred Johnson could be, you know, a, a, a twin tower of strength inside at the guard position. Uh, he, he learned a couple things. He got bowled by one guy and got beaten upfield. Miles Garrett, you know, came, came upfield on him and got, got a quick uh, rush and knocked the ball out of uh, Joe Burrow's hand. So he had a couple of major negatives. Um, that were visible to everybody, but boy, he needs reps. That's what he needs. It has been announced that Fred Johnson will start again this week at right guard, but in the meantime, Alex Redmond was re-signed this week to the practice squad at least. What happens with him going forward, do you think? I wonder if he gets activated, you know, to the 50, one of the 55, the two guys they bring up for 55, but I don't know if that would be an overload inside. You know, they, they get Calhoun, um, uh, let's see who else they have. They have Billy, a, a, a Billy, and Adenogy playing tackle and guard. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know where Redmond, and and I don't know exactly why he was uh, terminated, waived, or or cut, or whatever. 
I think it was because of, he keeps getting hurt. You know, he injured himself wrestling in the off season and couldn't participate in training camp until the very end. And, you know, against Pittsburgh the year before in pregame warmups, blows his elbow out. It's like, man, you got to be kidding me. So they're wondering, I think, again, again, one of the best availabilities, uh, one of the best abilities to have is availability, and he hasn't been available. So is it that? Is it other things? Is it a compilation of multiple? Um, who knows? But I do know one thing. When he is healthy, that is one finishing fool. <laughs> he is the strong, He is a strong guy that loves to fight you. He will battle you. He will finish you. He loves hand-to-hand combat. He's one of the best finishers, I think, in the league. I mean, the dude is is like distraught if he doesn't dominate a guy at the end. He'll he'll give him the rabbit punch. He'll give him the you know a little gut action. He'll do anything to you know finish guys. And um, that's another issue. You don't want to be drawing penalties unnecessarily and all that sort of thing. But that guy wants to compete, man. He wants to finish. So um, I I think I think he's a he belongs in the National Football League. Just got to get everything right, everything calmed down, everything in place, and get healthy. See, see if he can contribute. Alex Redman, he is a little nutty, but uh, he is lovable in his own brawling sort of way. According to the official league stats in Cleveland, the Browns sacked Joe Burrow three times and had seven quarterback hits. And there's a common misconception that those are separate numbers. Yes. They're not. Right. It might be different for pro football focus or football outsiders, but according to the official NFL stats, right. a sack counts as a quarterback hit. And it should. You, you shouldn't right. get double you know, double credit for it if you're defensive. Right. So yeah. by official NFL stat keeping, he was hit seven times in the Cleveland game. Now, that seemed low to me. Mm-hmm. So I went back and I watched the All-22 video. And th- there's another thing. If a quarterback gets rocked running the ball, that doesn't count right. as a quarterback hit. That's strictly the stat exists for pass rushing. So I included runs, and I counted up 11 times that Burrow was legitimately knocked to the ground, mm-hmm. some harder than others, in the Cleveland game. Is that sustainable for Joe Burrow? I asked him that very question right, like right after the game. You know, was, hey, how you doing? Took some shots. I'm fine. You know, I feel, he feels like a football player when he gets hit. He says all the right things. But I don't want to see an Andrew Luck situation where, you know, you have a great player who just takes too many hits, whether they're um, because he's inflicting them a lot on himself, basically, by the manner in which he's playing, or the offensive line is not up to par. But bottom line is he took a ton of hits, and he said, that's enough. No mas. I'm done. Out of the game. Star. future. I mean, bright superstar out of the game. I don't want to see that. I definitely don't want to see that. Uh, getting hit 11 times, solid contact, 11 times, times 16 football games, adds up quickly. You're looking at 176 off the top of my head, 176 times during the course of the season. It's a lot of hits. That's a lot of uh, – and and you got to hope that some of them have, was a direct hit to the head. That, that were, A couple of them were missed. There were shots to the head. And you start, you know, getting that done and start scrambling uh, things upstairs, that's not good. You don't want to be in concussion protocol and, and everything that goes along with that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to see those decrease by <laughs> at least 50% or maybe 75%. I mean, you're going to get hit. But you don't, want to, you don't want to see your quarterback get hit, you know, more than a handful of times. You always want to see it less than a handful of times. But if you're throwing it 61 times – you're putting him at risk a hell of a lot more. That's that's usually two football games. You throw it 30, 31 times in a game, it's a lot of passes. Did it in one game. Two times the normal, <laughs> I mean, in one football game. Whew, that's a lot of throws, man. In the Bengals' most recent game last Thursday in Cleveland, they threw it to A.J. Green a lot and didn't get much out of it. He was targeted 13 times, finished with just three catches for 29 yards. And going back to July, prior to training camp, I spoke to former Bengals wide receiver T.J. Uh, Hushmanzada, and I asked him this question about A.J. Green. A.J. Green turns 32 on the last day of the month. How much great football does he have left in him? The way the game of football is now, like, honestly, A.J. can play, if he stays healthy, he can play at a high level for four to five more years, high level. 
high level. And the, the game of football is different. Like, I'll, I'm 42. I have weighed the same for 20 years. I still am in shape. I still have abs. I only work out a couple times a week. The game of football is different. If guys are staying in shape, AJ, in essence, his body should be healthy if it's healthy, if that makes any sense, because he's been hurt for the last couple years. And so, I, AJ's phenomenal, man. I tell people all the time, if you want to learn how to get off of press coverage, even if the release isn't a great release, it will be a great release by watching AJ. Like, AJ is just so violent at the line of scrimmage that even if it's not good, it's going to work because he believes in it. And, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to AJ reminding people that he's AJ Green. I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to that because he doesn't talk a lot. He's not going to hype him, hype himself up. And I don't even know AJ that well, but I'll hype him up. He, I'm looking forward to him uh, reminding people how good he really is. All right, again, that was T.J. Hushmanzada back in July. I'm not going to panic over that last game for A.J. Green. It was a short week, which I think was tough on him considering the hamstring injury in training camp and the injuries he's coming back from before that. Additionally, Denzel Ward might be one of the top two or three cornerbacks in the NFL. I was going to say, Dan, Denzel Ward did a great job. I I can't remember a game where A.J. was targeted – 13 times and only had three catches. There's ten, never been one. The 10 balls that he doesn't come mm-hmm. up with? I mean, I can't. So I wonder if Darius Slay, who they picked up from Detroit, a three-time Pro Bowler, I wonder if they're going to put him on A.J. all Got over the to, field. right? All over the field. Like, like you know, Cleveland had Ward basically on A.J. And, and he's going to get – he's a Pro Bowler. He's going to get – if there's a Pro Bowler in the, in the secondary, he's going to get him. You would think, unless, you know, they're so stubborn about, no, we're not going to travel corners. We're just going to play right and left corner. A.J. Green is the type of talent that might make your mind change a little bit, particularly when you look at the uh, success that D.J. Ward had. He played he, he played him well. He, he played a good football game. And I think they're getting their hands on A.J. now. Hands are really, you know, it's, it's a big, big deal. And the officials aren't, aren't really even, it's more than five yards down the field and they're getting hands on him. It's not being called. And on the touchdown that was reversed, he was bear hugged, basically coming off the line of scrimmage. Wasn't called in week one. In week yep. one against the Chargers, and then he he did push off a little bit to get started because he was getting bear hugged, and he gets called. So you would think that a guy who's made seven Pro Bowls might get a little bit of a benefit of a doubt, but right now he's not getting anything. He's really not getting much called, and there there's some sticky coverage going on. There's some handsy stuff happening. The Thursday night game in Cleveland, a special one for rookie wide receiver T. Higgins. He was targeted six times in that game and had his first three NFL catches. Three catches for 35 yards, including an 18-yarder on a great throw by Joe Burrow into a very narrow window. In any case, here's the second-round pick out of Clemson on his first two NFL games. Man, it's feeling like no other. You know, it's something I always dreamed of. And now that I'm living my dream, you know, I just got to go out there and go out there and keep competing and go out there and get some W's now. So just like what Joe said uh, not too long ago on Thursday night uh, when he did his interview, I've never lost two in a row. You know, it's been a long time since I've done that. Last time I've done that, I was playing basketball in high school. So, I mean, it's been been a minute. (laughs) Hopefully he will not experience losing three games in a row. Let's talk, Lap, about the Bengals' use of their wide receivers, particularly in the Cleveland game. Tyler Boyd got the most snaps, 78. A.J. Green was in for 57, and you would expect him to get little breaks here and there since he's coming back from the injuries. T. Higgins got the second most. He was in for 60, more than twice as many as John Ross, who was in for 28. Michael Thomas was in more than John Ross. He was in for 32 snaps. Auden Tate, inactive. Yeah, that one's one's a tough one, and, and, um, you know, so you think Alex Erickson and Thomas will provide special teams plays, snaps that Auden Tate isn't going to necessarily provide. I guess it came down to that in terms of who is going to be active for the game. But the snaps, I mean, it's a meritocracy. You know, there's no there's no way two ways about it. I mean, um, John Ross's production, you know, even though he's, quote, the third receiver as such, or, you know, I, I, I would think they'd have no high – no, uh, no higher than number three, he hasn't really produced. 
So it's a meritocracy. You got to produce. If you don't produce, your snaps are going to diminish. So T. Higgins, I mean, it's all about how you practice. It's all about uh, you know what kind of um, rhythm and timing you're starting to see with Joe Burrow and some of these guys because T. Higgins really didn't work much with Joe at training camp. AJ obviously didn't. So John Ross didn't. So those guys are obviously getting in a better rhythm and timing with Joe Burrow than John Ross is. So it is. It's it's all about what you see, what the coaches see during practice, and meritocracy of you know who's going to be able to uh, perform, who's going to be able to make plays. That's why the um, ten balls that were in intended for AJ Green for him not to come up with any of them, thirteen targets, three catches is so un AJ like, and it's there's probably you know multiple reasons for it. There's never just one reason, but that's got to change. You can't you can't you can't target your number one guy 13 times and only harvest three receptions for 30 yards, whatever it was. I forgot to mention Alex Erickson when I ran down those snap counts, by the way. He had eight snaps at wide receiver. Right. I don't want to be kill-the-play-calling guy uh, because Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan know a million more things about offense than I ever will. But I scratch my head that they are not finding something for John Ross to do. Jet sweeps. Some sort of package. little short cross to try to take advantage of his speed. He really hasn't displayed the ability on a consistent basis to run way downfield and catch 40 or 50-yard throws. But can we get him the ball close to the line of scrimmage and see if he can run away from somebody? I'll tell you, they better start figuring out a way to get big plays somehow because they have one in each area. 23-yard touchdown on a quarterback draw from Joe Burrow and one 23-yard pass, which was a touchdown to C.J. Uzama. Those are the only splash plays of 20 yards more for the season, for the season. And we're talking, you know, quite a few plays. So you have to figure out some way to get some kind of, you know, burst, explosion, chunks. Got to get some of them going. They're chunkless. They don't have any, they don't have any chunk plays going on. Got to figure out a way. And looking at him – Physically, fastest guy to ever run the 40 in the history of the National Football League. Yeah. I mean, some kind of, uh, you know, little motion alley screen or something. I mean, when, he, when they have hit him on a slant, he split safeties and gone to the house. I mean, it's, fr- it's frustrating. It's frustrating when he's not used. It's frustrating to see him not execute when he is used. He, is, he, he may be as frustrating a Bengal player to watch as there's been in quite a while. He really is. Prior to last year in training camp, it seemed like there was going to be somebody in jet sweep or fly sweep motion on almost every play. The uh, 49ers do it a ton. Chiefs do it a lot. Rams do it a lot. We've seen it more in practice than we've seen it in games. Yeah, and um, I mean, I, the 49ers, one of their touchdowns this past week was there was so much going on in terms of motion. They had nine defensive players in a ball in the middle of the football field. And it was a walk-in, little uh, short reverse touchdown run. and it, But it had like five pieces of motion to it. It was like unbelievable. It's like at this point, I can't trust my eyes. My eyes are deceiving me. My eyes are telling me this. My brain's telling me that. You know, it's like there's so much going on. Uh, I agree. And the running game, too, where's the pin and pull? Joe Mixon was killing it with the pin and pull getting outside. I haven't seen much pin and pull. I haven't seen a whole lot of it. You know, I, I know, I know in, uh, in, in the second week, in, in this game against Cleveland, Cleveland played against Baltimore. Baltimore's offense is so unique. They threw out the fronts and everything. I mean, they had Garrett in a four-eye technique inside the offensive tackle, just blowing up the field to try to disrupt some of the running game. They're not going to do that. I mean, they're not going to line up like that against them. And they lined up in wide seven and nine techniques. So I can understand, you know, hammering the ball between the tackles. Some try to come downhill and pound them. But, man, I'd like to see some of that pin and pull that was – how many times do we see Joe Mixon, you know, timing it perfectly, letting his offensive lineman work, tight end pinning, tackle blocking down, center and guard pulling, they're getting their blocks. Man, it's good-looking stuff. Got to see it. Got to like to see that again. It's interesting with Joe Mixon because it feels like he's not getting enough touches. He's averaging twenty a game. He is fifteen carries, five catches a game. He is basically. They're 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 put, putting the ball in his hands. They are. Yep. 
They're just right now, they're not getting any explosives. Everything, I remember saying it multiple times because I'm thinking it again, and I remember saying it during the Thursday night game, root canal surgery. Every drive is like, man, you go on a 14-play drive for 41 yards. You don't even average four yards of play on their first drive and settle for a field goal. That's root canal surgery. I mean, man, a Shevitz. You know, and, and the thing is, the Philadelphia Eagles, looking at their uh, run defense, Dan, they're only allowing 3.6 a carry, seventh best in the NFL. They gave up a 40-yard run. Take that run away. They're 75 carries. So now 74 carries, 241 yards, 3.25 yards a rush. They're not an easy football team to run the ball on. This defensive line, Fletcher Cox, immovable object. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, they got some, they got some uh, they got some guys. The guy the guy that I, I I see playing pretty well again is Malik Jackson. This dude, strong, explosive. You know, he, he's in the rotation of three uh, defensive tackles. Telling you, not going to be easy street running the ball against these guys either. You're not making me happy, Dave Lapham. <laughs> Let's hit one more topic. After having two sacks in the opener, the Bengals did not have a sack or even a quarterback hit on Baker Mayfield. So, Carl Lawson, what's the problem with a pass rush? We struggled to stop the run. You don't get that many uh, attempts to just have drop back passes um, to get after the quarterback. So, we got to fix that problem first. And then, you know, obviously we have talent and the pass rushers to go get the quarterback. But um, that's the narrative is, oh, you, you guys have struggled to get after the quarterback. But I'm like, when you're in third and short, or play teams are doing play action boots and things of that nature. You don't really get that many drop back opportunities as you see. Um, one of the best teams in the league, and there's some defenses, you know, and then last year the team that had the most sacks was I think Tampa Bay. They stopped the run first, and then they had the guys go get the quarterback. Um, Pittsburgh does a good job of stopping the run, then they get to go get the quarterback. So um, people know what we could do. People don't want to sit back and you've seen what happened at the end of last season. Every, the pass rush picked up. That's because we were, you know, more sound and we started playing to get better against the run. So, but, you know, it's easy to go sit there and be a rider and be like, oh, the, the pass rush sucks. I mean, like, no, we got to stop the run first so we can get those people in the positions to do that. I mean, Carl, how frustrating is it to have riders like us kind of knock the pass rush? Oh, no, I mean, it's not frustrating. I mean, rent is due every day. So, like, the narrative can change what you write in a day. Or <laughs> this day you suck, next day you... I've had so many experiences with, with uh, media just talking when I was at Auburn, just like, trashing me like about injuries or or people on the fans talking to me so I mean it doesn't really affect me at all like this is this is your job this is how you make your money I'm not knocking you for your craft at all it's not frustrating at all but like you said the, the narrative can change the next day you know what I'm saying the writings can change the next day and then guess whose job is that to do that's us you know but until then you're gonna keep saying we suck so I mean I'm, I'm not mad at you at all like you're still my friend we're cool I love that. <laughs> I tell you what, Carl Lawson's got a pretty good grasp on how this works. You play lousy. We all say you stink. Yep. Turn it around the next day and we're, we're going to love you. But uh, he's also right about the the total inability to stop the run, making it impossible to get after the quarterback. Had a high school coach, played offensive and defensive line in high school, and the high school coach, or my D-line coach, said, look, you have to make them – or." We have to earn the right to rush the passer. It's not, they're not going to give you the right to earn the passer. You have to earn it, meaning control the running game, put them in bad down-and-distance situations, and get after the quarterback. It is that simple. It's, it's very, very true. When you're giving up 185 a game on the ground, you're 30th in the NFL, hard to, hard to pressure the quarterback. Plus, when Cleveland, when, you know, they get make Baker Mayfield out of pocket a bunch, changing the launch point, that's tough. You know, instead of a guy just being seven to nine yards away from the line of scrimmage, depending on the five- or seven-step drop like a statue, the only guy they're going to play this year that plays like that is Phillip Rivers. Every other quarterback on their schedule has some movement skills. So they're, they're only going to play against Phillip Rivers, who they know exactly where he's going to be every time he throws it pretty much, one time. So you better start stopping the run and, and put them in third and long situations where these guys are going to at least be in the pocket for a while before they try to extend and create plays like every quarterback, including Joe Burrow, is doing for the Bengals. I mean, that's part of the quarterback package these days is everybody's not Fran Tarkenton, but they want them to be more like Fran Tarkenton than Johnny U. They don't want him just standing in the pocket, you know, and, and throwing the football. That's not the NFL these days. So 
Yeah, you're going to have to earn the right to rush the passer. For the younger audience out there, Fran Tarkenton was the Russell Wilson of the 60s and 70s. Need proof? Google search Fran Tarkenton scrambling and watch some video on YouTube to see what I mean. One of the Bengals' best performers so far this season is kick returner Brandon Wilson. He leads the NFL with a 43.7-yard average on his three returns, and that's more than 10 yards better than anybody else in the league. And he's not the only standout on special teams. Kevin Huber is averaging more than 53 yards on his first eight punts. And I spoke to the Bengals' longest tenured player this week. Kevin, I heard you say in a recent interview that your goal when you got into the NFL was to punt until you were 35 years old. You made it, but it sounds like you might have to update that goal. Yeah, um, you know, when I first started, my goal was, you know, back when I was a young 20-something-year-old, I thought it would be a pretty good milestone to play until I was 35. So that was what I – I don't know why that number kind of came out, but – um, that was my goal. So I, I reached that. And now, uh, you know, the next goal is to uh, play some 40. So a couple more years for that. Your first punt of the year was a 70-yarder. And we're not talking about a bounce and roll 70-yarder. It flew about 62 yards from the line of scrimmage. Were you like, whoa, that felt good to start the year? Yeah, yeah, it came off pretty good. Obviously, I like to have a uh, better bounce keep out of the end zone. But, you know, it was one of those things. It's, you know, no preseason games, just – you know, you just want to get a good head on the ball to skip the year off, start it off right. So hang time could be better, but I, I was happy with uh, <clears throat> the hit itself. And, you know, I'll take a 70-50, uh, a you know, all day long. Yeah, 50 net after 70 gross, right? We're yeah. chatting with Kevin Huber. You're averaging 53 and a half yards so far this year per punt. And I asked Aaron Simmons the other day, what's gotten into Kevin Huber? And he said he thinks the lack of OTAs and mini camps might have helped. Do you agree? It, it was kind of like the uh, the lockout year where you just kind of get ready for the season. You know, you just instead of getting ready to go for OTAs and you know, and then you kind of calm down in in the summer and then pick back up in training camp. It's just you know, I just kind of took this year and I just I didn't really rush anything. I just let it build up until we got to training camp. And that way, by the season, I was ready to go. So I think I was probably more fresh coming into the year than I've ever been in the past. Um, and just really took it slower this year, um, knowing that, um, you know, we weren't going to have, you know, all the games. So it just really just took some more time. Probably lifted more this year than I ever have before just because I had more time to do that. And just uh, really got myself ready for week one versus ready for OTAs and ready for training camp. How do you think your leg strength compares at 35 to when you broke into the league 12 years ago? It's probably, you know, I think it's probably just as, you know, just as strong as it was then. I, I've had a couple of years where I was probably stronger than I am now, but I think overall I'm probably, you know, a much similar, you know, strength than I was when I first came out. Um, I think now I just know how to utilize it better and get more out of it than I did then. Um, I think my, my form and my technique and just, knowledge of the game and what I need out of a certain situation has really changed, which has helped me to, you know, use leg strength when I need it, but also be able to back off when I need to as well. Kevin is the holder. You were obviously the closest person to Randy Bullock when he missed his game tying attempt in week one. Could you tell what happened right away? Um, I just knew that the hit sounded different. Um, you know, I, I don't get to see the ball flight. I get to see like the aftermath. Um, I just knew, you know, the ball, it just, there wasn't the same kind of thud. So I knew something had happened. And then once I looked up and saw that he was grabbing his, his leg, I, you know, I didn't know if he had um, pulled something, tore something. I had no idea what was going on. Um, so, you know, it felt, felt so bad for him. Um, but I know, he'll, you know, he came back uh, last week and had a great game. And, you know, he has, he's been, you know, more committed now than, you know, than, than I've ever seen him before to, you know, kind of to get back to, you know, what we know we can do and, you know, I think he showed that last week um, uh, in our last game, and he made all of his kicks, had great kickoffs, and I, I'm man, pretty confident he'll be able to do that the rest of the year. A couple more questions for punter Kevin Huber. Darren Simmons uh, had his contract run out at the end of last season, and Lapp and I both thought that there was a decent chance he would move on to another team. How happy were you when the Bengals were able to retain him? Yeah, I think that was huge. Um, you know, I think he's a great coach. I think he's probably the best coach in the NFL, special teams-wise. 
Um, and the fact that we have him is huge. And, you know, he's able to help me individually with punting because he's punted in the past. Um, but I like it better for how he can get the other guys um, ready for a game. And, you know, for me in specific is the, uh, the punt protection guys. Um, he, he's dealt the short end of the stick, you know, week in and week out because he's the last guy to know who's going to get activated or inactivated. So he's got to get every guy ready. And, you know, there's no look that our guys haven't seen going into a game. And that's a lot of confidence for me knowing that, you know, whatever a team throws at us, our guys are going to protect it. So the fact that he got signed back and, you know, he's now here however more, two or three more years, whatever that is, um, that's huge. And that, that was a big confidence thing for me as well to be able to, you know, going into the, the season knowing that, you know, no matter who we have on the team, um, they're going to be ready to go. So going full circle back to the start of the interview, if the goal now is to punt until you are 40, hopefully that'll be the case. But have you given much thought to what you're going to do when you are no longer punting in the NFL? I actually got asked that question, I think it was last night or yesterday or some of that. Um, I, I always think about that, but it's always, you know, it, it changes from year to year and, you know, from day to day is what interests me. Um, I really like the, the, uh, the real estate field. Um, what part of real estate I would get into. I'm not really sure. Um, but I'm not really like, you know, dialed in on one thing. Um, kind of if something comes my way that interests me, I'll, I'll, I'll pursue it. Um, but no real like set plans right now. Just uh, something comes my way and I, I like it. I'll try it out. Keep blasting away and you don't have to worry about it for a few more years. Well, that's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, congratulations on a great start. I appreciate your time. Best of luck this week against the Eagles. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Now time to turn our attention to this week's opponent, the 0-2 Philadelphia Eagles. Michael Barkan hosts the Eagles pre- and post-game shows on NBC Sports Philadelphia, and he joined Lap and Me this week on the Bengals Game Plan Show. Here in Cincinnati, an 0-2 start is being seen as, well, it's Burrow's rookie year. There are bound to be some growing pains. How is an 0-2 start being received in the city of brotherly love? Well, uh, it's as you might expect. Uh, you know, in fact, and I don't know if I don't know if Fox did this or if the Eagles did it. I'm hoping it was Fox. But if you watched any of the game, you heard the birds running off the field after one of several miscues, and I'm being kind saying several. And and you heard boos if you were watching the telecast. Yep. And I'm thinking, are they booing them in their own stadium with no fans? <laughs> um, people think the season is on the on the brink, even at 0 and 2. And with the Bengals coming up, and you know, anything can happen on Sunday. There's no reason the Bengals can't get win number one. And then they've got to fly and play San Francisco. Uh, they got Dallas in the first eight. Um, it, it's going to be a real uphill battle for the Eagles from here on out. They should have blasted Washington in that first game. And they had every opportunity to beat the Rams as well, as good as the Rams are. And it was, it was their own miscues. It was their own sloppy play. It was their own poor play calling. And um, I, I don't know if that improves in week number three. I just don't. What do you guys think? You know, I'm looking at Wentz, and uh, he gets sacked five times in the first 25 plays against the Redskins. And, and, and yeah. that, 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 that changes your clock a little bit. I kinda, it, it altered his clock. Now, to me, it looks like he's pressing, and he's become a turnover machine. Five giveaways, most in the NFL, six by the team. He's responsible for five of them, four interceptions and a lost fumble. I mean, the dude is just, he's, pre, you know, now he wants to get it out of his hands so quickly. His mechanics have fallen apart, his, you know, his form. I mean, he looks like he's, he's definitely, you know, definitely struggling. I don't know if it's something uh, that can be remedied by, you know, one good game against uh, a team that's struggling as well against the Bengals. But, man, he looks like a different guy to me right now. Yeah, I don't know if it could be remedied, Dave. Although it did happen in some semblance last year, and then he led the team the last four games to the playoffs, and, and um, then he got knocked out uh, against Seattle, unfortunately. I think all of that has to, in some sense, form who you are as a quarterback. He, he's just getting blasted physically, but but also he he continues to, to give up his body, as, as the hockey guys say, and I don't think that's a good idea. I think he needs to be more more careful. And this week, week number two, you saw what happened week one with the sacks. But but week number two, the line protected him, and it's his inaccuracy, as, as you spoke of. He's not throwing the ball and placing it where it needs to go. 
Uh, there was one play in particular to Dallas Goddard. Goddard's wide open. He, he throws behind him on his back shoulder, and, and Goddard almost got blasted. There are a couple other plays like that, the, the same with Deshaun Jackson. In fact, Jackson didn't have a catch in the first half and then comes back and leads the team in receptions with six. But it, it's, um, it, it's something I, I really go back to the departure of Frank Reich, who's now with Indianapolis, and John DiFilippo, who was the quarterback's coach. And I think sometimes, and Dan, you could, or Dave, you could speak more to this better than I, but sometimes there's just a chemistry between coach and player. There's a comfort zone, and, and there's a, an ability to make the player understand better than w- when with other coaches. Yep. And um, wh- whatever it is, this chemistry now, with Press Taylor, who's really the de facto offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach, and Doug Peterson, and this word from the, the locker room that perhaps, you know, uh, uh, Wentz doesn't always listen to the play call and that he calls the plays that he wants to call, and I don't know if Peterson's on board with that. Um, so there's a whole bunch of tumult going on right now, but I really think it started with that, with the departure of Reich and DiFilippo after that Super Bowl. We're talking to Eagles pregame and postgame host Michael Barkan. We know the Eagles have had injuries on the O-line. How is the group that they have now? Okay? Below average? How would you consider these guys? I think it's okay. You know, it's, it's so easy to just say, oh, these guys can't play. I mean, you know, they're not Jason Peters on the left side. It's not Lane Johnson. And uh, even Jason Peters isn't Jason Peters anymore. But but I think this line is is, is all right. You know, they still have Peters, still have Kelsey. Peters is, is, has not been a major issue as old as he is. I think he, I think he came back in good shape, and I think he's all right. They've got this rookie at right guard, Nate Herbig, and then Lane Johnson, who missed the first game. But Jack Driscoll, this rookie, came in, and he was okay for Lane Johnson the first week. Um, it, it wasn't because of him that they got all those sacks. And uh, Johnson comes back in at right tackle, and the line kept – Carson Wentz clean. Um, so I don't think there, there's an issue there. I think there is an issue with the, with the tight end, Zach Ertz, the, uh, the all-pro tight end. He's not getting the ball very much. And as you may have heard, he's complained about his contract situation. And he's expressed that he's, not, he's unsure that the Eagles want him to finish his career in Philadelphia. Well, maybe they don't. I don't know. But don't cry about it. Start catching some balls. Uh, and and um, maybe he'll either get a new deal. He's got a contract, by the way. That, that always, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure, Dave, you you got to love that in the era in which you played. Yeah. You know, you got a contract and plays you pays you pretty good money. Right. Finish the darn thing off. You know, uh, I know you, Zach Ertz, but and then Dallas Goddard, honest to goodness, who was drafted um, a couple of years ago, and a lot of people raised their eyebrows because we thought, man, they they got a top flight tight end. You get in, you, you bring in another one. And then sometimes it looks like he just doesn't know what the plays are. Sometimes he's yelling back to Wentz, like, do I go here? Is it over here? <laughs> um, and uh, so that's a problem. But he is a physical specimen. So, um, But I'd like to see Ertz get the ball a little bit more. And then there's Doug Peterson, who um, I don't know if you've heard or seen. is kind of like his mentor, Andy Reid who got his first trophy, which is nice because uh, he was beloved in this town. But he doesn't run the ball. And he doesn't run the ball. Then they get their brains beat in. Then he runs the ball. And usually that'll send him back to a more 50-50. No, it's never 50-50, but to a more 50-50 type of offense. And, um, and they still lost uh, against the Rams. But I think that had more to do with Carson Wentz and his inaccuracy and his throwing into double coverage. And, and I, I don't know what's going on with him right now, but they got to figure it out quickly. You know, let's flip to the other side of the uh, the ball, Jim Schwartz. I mean, defensively, he's the kind of guy that um, he doesn't want to blitz all that much. He wants to rush four, drop seven, have four really good rush guys. They don't even really twist and stunt all that much. He just wants to overpower you with good players in the pass rush and then play good sound defense in the back end. That's what it looks like he's doing in the early stages here. And, shoot, they're top ten in yards allowed. Um Yards per play, they're seventh. I mean, they're fifth in yards passing allowed. Has it just been bad field position because of the turnovers? I think that's the way it was in week number one. Um, and, and I guess to some sense, week number two. But these guys, there was one play at the end of the game last week where Josh Sweat is um, is kind of spying Jared Goff. 
and Goff's out there, and Sweat's just kind of jogging, like, he's not going to run. He's not going to run. And like, oh, my goodness, he ran. And then, and then he's too late, and, and Goff ends up picking, picking up six yards. And so I, I think these, these guys need a wake-up call. Um, Brandon Graham, how about trying to, you know, set an edge? For, for everybody. Fletcher Cox has not been what he can be. He's not been his pro bowl self. But the other thing is, Dave, they've got linebackers that should be safeties or, or corners. Nathan Gary, he's hand tackling guys. He's undersized. And the Eagles have long believed in, indeed, if not by stated uh, um, intent, they have long believed that the linebackers really don't have a big place in the defense. And so they have these linebackers that really are not, you know, they're either playing out of position or they're just not as good as they need to be. Um, Malcolm Jenkins, they let go to, to the to the uh, Saints, as you know. And, and then they moved Jalen Mills, who was a corner. And he was an okay corner, uh, but they moved him to strong safety. Rodney McLeod's a free safety. And then they brought in Darius Slate from Detroit, and that was an upgrade. And Cravon, uh, Cravon LeBlanc, uh, LeBlanc is, is out there as the nickelback with Avante Maddox at the right corner. It, it, it's, um, you know, it, it just, it has not worked. It, 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 they've looked really bad. And with regard to um, to Jim Schwartz, uh, I guess the bottom line is, does your team have more points than the other team when the, when the clock hits zero? Right. But uh, Schwartz gives up tons of yards all the time and tons of points. And everybody kind of glosses over it because they went to the Super Bowl in 18 and then, you know, 19, Wentz is hurt all season. They, there's always an excuse. But to me, let's, uh, Schwartz's defenses give up way too much yards and points, and that's the bottom line. Our guest is Michael Barkan, Eagles pregame, postgame host on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Here's my last question, Michael. You yes, mentioned sir. Jalen Hurts. To me, that was a curious draft pick. You've got Carson Wentz, second overall pick in the draft, MVP candidate before he got hurt a few years ago. Did you find it strange that they selected a quarterback in the second round with the other needs they have on the roster? Dan, I think the entire NFL establishment <laughs> found it strange that you take a guy with the 53rd overall pick when, when you've got a, a Pro Bowl quarterback and a guy who were it not for an injury in his second year would have likely won the MVP. I, th I think everybody thought it was bizarre. Uh, and then last week, I, I, I don't know if you know this, excuse me, um, he had been inactive in week one, and Nate Sudfeld had been the number two. Sudfeld was inactive in week two, and Hertz was the, was the QB, number two QB. And then he was in there for a couple of snaps. They put him out at, at, uh, at wide receiver. But at some point, you got to ask yourself, if this is the guy that you know, you're going to use him and you're going to use him as a decoy, you have to use him at some point, don't you? I mean, you have to uh, – otherwise, the defense is just going to say, yeah, they put him in there every every play. They never go to him. So, at some point, he's going to have to get the ball, whether it's under center or whether it's a pass from Wentz or, or, or it's a wildcat formation. But um, that is the – you know, you start getting into the into the weeds with this and you can go all day because that – Howie Roseman is the general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles and a lot of people – question that selection they question many of his selections through the through the years and uh, you you may recall uh, that when chip kelly came in they spent one year together and then chip basically said either that guy goes or i go and, and at that point everyone thought chip was still a genius so they the uh jeffrey lurie the owner said yeah okay we're going to put you howie at the end of the hall and stay out of chip's way <laughs> and then they brought him back when they fired chip and and how he how he was celebrated after they won the Super Bowl, and he has had some some good drafts, but I think a lot of them have been wasted drafts, and I don't mean just at the number one pick, I, I mean entire drafts. And so um, I, I don't know that that happens with with top flight GMs and top flight teams that are there every single year. The most important position, in my opinion, I'd love to hear your guys on this. The most important position in any organization is the guy picking the talent mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, you can be inferior at coach and, and you can have, uh, have some players that are a little off, but the guy who's selecting your talent needs to know what talent is. And I question that at, at times with Howie. I really do. Play by so play. He, he, I was going to yeah, say play-by-play play guy is most important, <laughs> yeah. followed closely by the person picking the talent. <laughs> I think, yes, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I, Dan. I think you're right, though. I mean, I, I'm expecting a Hertz package. 
you know, gadget gimmick stuff. When you're struggling, you got to come up with something. I think they are going to come up. I, one, one final question. Thanks, yeah. for, thanks for carving all the I'm time. I'm yours. Are you kidding me? All right. Syracuse guys. I know. Yeah, we're on Marshall Street right now. <laughs> there we go, M Street. I love it. <laughs> Get a little slice. All right, so I thought the Bengals were having a hard time finishing. The Philadelphia Eagles have scored three points in the second half in two football games. They've been outscored 36-3. to No, They've been shut out in the third quarter, three points in the fourth quarter. I mean, my goodness. Talk about not finishing. What's up? I, again, I think that's Peterson, and I always thought a strength of his was the adjustment at halftime, thinking, well, it's not going to get worse. They're not going to double up on the score, or, or they're, they're, they're not going to fail the score, but that's what's, that's what's happened. Dave, that's exactly what's happened, wow. and I, I think there, there's some kind of communications gap going on with Peterson and Wentz. I don't know what that is, and I think the defense is just—they need to get—they uh, need to get kicked in the butt. They really do. And and um, Jim Schwartz, he, he to me, this is a defining game for him. But you could before if, if just one more—if I could have one more question—what <laughs> are you making of of the Bengals? Offense, Joe Burrow, I saw what happened, how he threw away game number one, which was a shame. He's a rookie with that little shovel pass that got picked off. Um, I, don't, I don't know what happened last week, but what do you make of this guy in this offense? Well, he was 37 for 61 in, the, in week two. He, uh, set only a re- 61 passes. Only, only 61, yeah. yeah. Second most ever by a rookie, and he had the most wow. completions by a rookie. He's, he's, um, I, I think he's th- – He's cut from a good cloth. He's got some fiber to him. He's the real deal. I, he's far from their biggest problem, that's for sure. And after you, the interception that you referenced in week one, he threw a game-winning touchdown pass with seven seconds to go that got wiped out by a semi-bogus call. Right. So Offensive he, he bounced back nicely from that. That's the yeah. thing about him. He has a short memory. You know, he moves on. He compartmentalizes. He, uh, he, doesn't, let, he doesn't let – one bad play turn into multiples. I mean, he's he's pretty sharp. He's he's a mature guy, very mature, very patient. I think he's going to be. I think he's going to be around for a long time. Yeah. Well, I love watching him play at LSU, um, and I I love the sensibility. I love when he came uh, and had Burrow spell with an EAU right uh, X. Uh, um, and um, and yeah, I'm really I'm really looking forward to seeing him play. He gets it. We'll have much more on the game this Friday on the Bengals Pep Rally Show from 3 to 6 on ESPN 1530 in Cincinnati, online at ESPN1530.com, or on the iHeartRadio app by searching for ESPN 1530. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Prime Sport, the official hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.